Hey everybody, I want to welcome you back to another edition of the Rolex Whiskey Passion Project. And today, I have a gentleman that is steeped in history and excitement and whiskey geekage, as I like to go. And he's got some fun projects. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Finn Thompson to the whiskey pro- the whiskey adventure that we're on here with Rolex Whiskey. Finn, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me on, Gavin. It's uh, yeah, pl- pleasure to to chat again. I oh, think yeah, yeah. it's almost been a year since we since we saw each other in person, at least uh, at that amazing uh, Vegas Whiskey Festival. So long, long time coming, but good to good to chat again. Yeah, and excited to hear all the new stuff. Finn, do you want to let my let the listeners know kind of who you are and what you do, if you don't mind? And where you come yeah. from? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'm in a incredibly fortunate but also exciting position at the moment where I've just launched my own independent bottling range under Finn Thompson Whiskey, uh, which is a it's a new whiskey brand, but it's actually based on what I think is probably the oldest story in Scotch whiskey, I would argue. Certainly in my research, I think I've discovered that we are the the oldest whiskey family uh, with every single generation for the last nine generations all being directly involved in the whiskey industry. Um, so although my, my granddad sold the company in the 1980s, you know, I've, I've decided to bring it back and, and continue on that legacy. So gosh, less than a year into, into releasing Finn Thompson whiskey into the wild, but so far so good. And tell me something, tell me about your first, as, as you know, this nine generational family, what, what did your first forays into whiskey look like growing up? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. You know, I, I was always, I was always aware of, of this kind of whiskey background, even, even as a kid. And I, I remember going right to my granddad's house. My, my granddad's, a, he's an avid collector, so he's always kept hold of things, but particularly, you know bits and bobs from his time in the industry and I remember seeing these ceramic eagles um, which were his kind of trademark uh, design and bottle they were ceramic birds of prey that he he bottled his Ben Eagles blended whiskey brand in and I always remember seeing them on the shelf and I suppose that's my first kind of whiskey memory but you know growing up I remember occasionally getting taken along to, to mini whiskey events and probably meeting people that were, you know, fairly recognizable, but I, I wouldn't have known at the time. I suppose when I was when I was 18, you know, being allowed to drink, pro- probably drinking long before then in all honesty, but <laughs> when I was 18, I was I was given my first opportunity to, to really go and work in the drinks industry. And it wasn't actually in whiskey. It was in a winery in, in Spain called Torres, now, Torres Wine was a brand that was actually first imported into the UK by my granddad. My granddad had a fantastic relationship with them, so much so that I was sent out to go and work in this winery. And I suppose for a time, I must have thought that I was going to go into the wine industry. But then it kind of dawned on me that being Scottish, having a, a, a family that's steeped in whiskey history, and also just liking the drink, it made a lot of sense to pursue a career. And, and then I kind of set the long-term goal of restarting the family business. And what was that first whiskey? So so at 18, you know, you go to the wine. When, like, what's your experience with whiskey? What kind of, what, 
what brand, what distillery is it? Like, you know, when did you realize like, hey, I kind of like this whiskey, even though obviously it's a family thing as well. Yeah, do you know what one one of the one of the big moments where where I really realized I I, I loved whiskey and really wanted to learn more about it was probably within my first job within the industry. I was working for another independent bottler at the time, local whiskey company that I worked with, and we went up to Speyside, and I remember getting taken up to Glendronic, and mm-hmm. we, got, we got given an amazing tour. I think by her name was Karen. I'm sure. And she gave us a fairly kind of VIP tour of the warehouse. We got got to taste some things straight from the cask. I remember walking away from that, having probably bought my first bottle of whiskey that I ever bought personally. And it was a Glendronic 15-year-old revival. And Uh the 2014-era one, which is now semi-discontinued, of course, or at least, you know, that batch has changed. And, And nowadays, that's a fairly collectible one, but... I remember being blown away by that and thinking, gosh, this is a is a cool whiskey. It's a cool distillery and, and just wanting to kind of get stuck in after that. Well, I mean, I still think that Glendronic's sherry casks are pretty much unchallenged for the most part. Like they just really figured out how to do sherry really well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think for so long, they probably went under the radar uh, as being that kind of the whis- the whiskey drinkers sherry cask whiskey and you know obviously they've become a bit better known now but i i still i still recommend it to pretty much anyone who is wanting to get into whiskey for the first time i'll, I'll go and tell them i think glendronic's a, a great place to start so this is this is you saying around 2014 i think it's probably just a li- maybe a little bit earlier than that if i think that i i kind of finished up university 2013 straight into a job so yeah that that would have been that would have been you know my and what is what is, what is the world what does the world of independent bottling look like at that point because this is before the boom i mean it's it's a couple of years before but i would imagine independent bottlers were still picking up almost as much whiskey as they could ever buy because distilleries were like hey you know we don't this doesn't fit the profile you're welcome to, you know, take these casts off my hands, or am I incorrect? I think you're probably right. I mean, I, I I look back at some of the things that were being bottled back then, and it is quite amazing to think, you know, number one, the price of things. You used to be able to yeah. get a 12-year-old single cask something, and it would retail for, you know, 40, 50 pounds here. And, and nowadays, that's pretty, pretty much unheard of. I I think also the the variety of different distilleries that were readily on offer has has definitely changed as well. There seems to be a slight reduction. You maybe see a bit more of the same things. I I still think there's some incredible things going on with independent bottlers nowadays. And actually, I would I would probably say that I think the quality of independent bottlings, because of the competition, has shot up. I, I think that there's so many good independent bottlers doing amazing things that the quality remains really, really high. And that's partly because I think independent bottlers are, are so often judged on, on their last bottling that, you know, if you're like me, you can't afford to bottle something that's that's not good because you're judged on your worst as much as you're judged on your best. So everything has to be a, a pretty high standard when the competition is is so deep these days. Yeah, and for, and for those listening, you know, independent bottling's been around for a long time. 
it's basically was the ability to go to a distillery and grab the pay buy the casks that just didn't fit their traditional profile you know they make abc core item that requires abc kind of barrels and if those barrels don't fit they're like these independent ballers are like well we'll take it we'll continue aging it we might play with it a little bit i mean that's pretty much has been going on forever correct uh, absolutely and and you know even in my granddad's day he he would bottle he would bottle other distilleries product under under his kind of label to some extent not not to the same extent as a, as a gordon mcphail my granddad was always more focused on on his uh, blended whiskey side but it, you're absolutely right it's been it has been happening for for a long time and there's some amazing old indie bottlings out there uh but as you said it it, it was it was potentially easier back then because there was a little bit of excess stock or at least there has been in in certain periods over time and nowadays it doesn't seem like that's the case i think uh the industry is absolutely booming and i think that so many single malt brands are doing so well that they that they need pretty much all the whiskey that they can they can produce well i i also think that in this booming stage that we have right now that nobody really was expecting to ramp up so quickly <clears throat> i think that you know seeing that space on shelf is not the way it used to be you know stuff like those landronics are off the shelf in two seconds they don't get to hang out there for you know a year or two waiting for someone to come buy it i think prices have gone up so i think like i'm watching now and it's like this is like the independent bottlers time to shine because they're coming to kind of save the day and put good quality product on shelf where all these gaps that I'm seeing where traditional products just can't seem to keep up with the demand is what I'm seeing. I think I think that's 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 absolutely true. And I, I look at it as just another another involvement of of the way that the whiskey industry's um, you know, constantly changing you know whiskey although it's it's so traditional and it's and it's based on so much kind of um history it's probably one of the most innovative uh industries out there i would argue um and that's despite the the constraints of of all the rules about making scotch whiskey but if you look at you know my granddad's era where um it was all about blended whiskey and, and even well his granddad's era, Irish whiskey would have been more popular. And then you've got blended mm -hmm. whiskey. Then you've got the emergence of proper big single malt brands. You've got, you know, Glenfiddich, you've got Glenlivet, you've got Macallan turning into, you know, massive, massive brands. And what I think you're maybe going to see now, and it's part of a, a kind of general attitude of, of, you know, consumer buying patterns is that I do think that people want to slightly move away from big brands. I, th I think that when people understand that something's either small batch or made by a smaller company, made, chosen by an individual, got its own particular story about each individual cask, I think that's something that people are really buying into. And you've, you've probably seen it with, with craft, craft beer, where people want to, you know, you want to try the next uh, small small brewery that's local to you. I think people are moving the same direction with whiskey. People want something with a little bit of a different story, something that's a little bit unique, something that their mates can't get hold of, that you can show off at a party, bring a bottle that no one's seen before. And I think that's something that is just uh, changing ever so slightly, where 
where it's not so much about showing off with a big brand. I think people quite like having something that people haven't heard of as opposed to have heard of. Well, I mean, I also know that, you know, I've been buying on auction, I don't know, the last, since the boom started, I've been buying all the older expressions, independent bottlers of the big names because honestly, it was cheaper. Yeah. And I was able to get 27 year old and 30 year old and 42 year old of big name homes for a fraction of the price what those big name homes would be charging for it. So for me, I've always been intrigued by the independent baller because I, I agree on the craft side, but to me, it was like, man, they got some amazing juice here that they've just added their twist to it, whatever they're, and, and, and I like that. I like uniqueness. Now, it doesn't fall into my investment pattern, but I'm just as much a drinker as, a, as I am an investor. And for me, it's like the experience to have a 42, 45, 50-year-old whiskey from a big name, but not bottled by the big name has always stood out to me. I mean, you know, like I, 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 I obsess with what the barrel does. So I obsess over age because something special happens with mother nature and the wood and the whiskey and the, and the, uh, temperatures that magic starts to happen. I see the older it gets now, obviously there's a fine line and different things, but you know, the value proposition. And, and I agree with you going over to someone's house and bringing a 27 year old independent bottler is way more exciting than bringing a a 12 year old you know uh mainstream product into someone's house mm -hmm. yeah yeah I, I i totally agree and you know we've seen it with with some of our older bottlings that we're we're incredibly fortunate to have some stock from the from the 70s from the 80s early 90s as well for our for our launch, we launched with a fifty year old Glenlivet, which you know not not many new kids in the block can do. No, but you know that in itself, I mean, I think it represents great value for what it is. It's it's an incredible single cask of nineteen seventy Glenlivet, first fill sherry, old transport cask, and you know that in itself is is incredible. But also the fact that, as you said, when you compare it to some of the the big branded 50 year olds out there it's it's not quite as uh, pricey either so it does offer you know a different type of value to to people and and it may well allow people to to crack one open whereas as you said so many of these things are about holding on to it forever and ever and, and just treating it as a as an investable collectible thing which well it's just so expensive it's hard not to you know unless you have the financial needs you know i had a gentleman on the other day you know who you know You'll listen to it at some point when it comes out, but you know he cracked a $250,000 bottle of Royal Salute. Wow. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's not your average whiskey. That's not your average whiskey drinker yeah. by any means, you know? And, and so let's, so let's now, because you've, you've kind of dropped a couple of, um, of worms in there that's, I, I, and I want to go fishing. Let's talk about when you decided to do what you're doing right now. And with, with the Finn Thompson brand and then also the stock that you, I mean, I, I would imagine that's been curating for decades. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll start with, I suppose, why I'm doing it and, and yeah. the, the background to it is, is, is quite fascinating. As I said, you know, I'm, I'm the ninth generation of a, of a whiskey family that's, that's been either distilling, blending, bottling, or probably just mainly drinking whiskey since, since all the way back in 1772, we've got the first records 
of James Thompson being an illegal distiller in Perthshire. Now, it was my gra- my grandfather, I suppose, is the seventh generation, and he was the, the managing director of Peter Thompson's, who, as I said, had this uh, blended whiskey called Ben Eagles. But they were also a, a distributor uh, and, and, a, and a kind of wholesaler for, for different brands. He imported wines like Torres Wine. He was also the the uh, UK distributor for Macallan in the early 1980s. And he, I've got the old records of, of him, uh, you know, agreeing a deal with Macallan to start becoming their their sales agent back when Macallan was mainly a blending mall. Um, and, and they took it to become, you know, the, the first steps of becoming a big, big brand. But my granddad ended up selling the company in, in the mid-1980s. And when the company who bought him out decided to buy his his brands and his route to market, they looked at this portfolio of quite young whiskey at the time that he had, that he put aside for his blend. And they looked at it and the state of the industry back then was was such that people looked at whiskey and thought, what the hell are we going to do with this? This is, you know, it's more of a liability than anything else. So the company that bought it said, said to my granddad, Michael, he said, Michael, you can you can keep your whiskey, we'll buy your brands, we'll buy your route to market, but you keep hold of the casks. And I mean, amazing fortune, but I'd like to think it's a little bit of foresight by my granddad as well. And and he'd have, you know, been wanting to hold on to those onto those casks. And basically he sat on on hundreds of, of casks from the seventies, eighties. He continued continued to add a few more bits and bobs through the early nineties and pretty much kept it quiet. It was in a holding company. Uh, you know, my dad and my uncle, who who should have taken on the running of the family business, they instead pursued different different careers. And then it wasn't until, well, when I was first getting into the industry and, you know, we had a little chat as a family and dad was kind of saying, listen, we've got these old barrels of whiskey. We're not really sure what to do with them. And I think there was a bit of a light bulb moment with me where, as I said, I knew that I wanted to be in the drinks industry. And I knew that we had this family background in whiskey, and I thought, gosh, have we got all these amazing casks of, you know, 1980s Macallan, 70s Glenlivet, Aberlour's, Klein Leashes. Um, you know, it would make sense to to prepare myself to do something with them in due course. But of course, you can't just go and do that straight away. You've got to learn your trades. So I worked for, for a couple of different whiskey companies based up in Scotland and then based in London as well. And just, you know, eventually just before COVID actually made the decision to to go and do it myself and, and used COVID as an opportunity to to sit down and, and really plan out how creating a, a new brand based on the family history might work. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, I can't even imagine like just looking at the inventory, but you mean, you know what you're sitting on, what the potential could be. So now you've spent, you, you, 2020 was COVID, you did some. You you decided this is what you're gonna do, and now you've come out with this Glenlivet 50. And what's what's the feedback been like in the market? Yeah, it, it's incredibly positive, and and there's absolutely you know a lot of nerves when you go and put your name on a bottle. <laughs> in particular, you know, it's 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 my name front and center. Finn Thompson whiskey signed off by me, and. You know, it, it's one thing. It's one thing releasing old stock, but it doesn't just because a whiskey's old doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. And I think that was part of my kind of nerves about it all because ultimately, people when they decide 
and 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 talk about whether they they like my whiskey or not it's quite hard not to take it personally when you're the one who's chosen that task out of all these ones that you've got to choose from but i think thankfully we've had some incredible reviews everything seems to have been well received we've bottled as well as the the 50 year old glenlivet um a 34 year old dufton a 33 year old longmorn and a 32 year old auchentoshan um all of which have absolutely sold out now we don't we don't have any left so um, that's amazing they must have been fairly well received and and really it's just about it's about growing the brand in the right places with the right people and i think i think that's one of the beauties of of being a small independent player with a you know and in a small family company we're not we're not tied to shareholder pressures there's an element of getting to choose who you work with and where you work and and obviously treating it like a business, but also having a little bit of fun with it along the way. And, um, you know, that's that's something I get really excited about is meeting like-minded people on the way to, to go and, you know, create new whiskey experiences with. Well, and, and it seems like obviously those are uh, plentiful these days. You know, there's a show every other week. There's uh, social media. There's all different ways to get the product out there. As far as like the distribution channels with independent, any challenges there or just like normal whiskey distribution, same challenges? Um, I, I think we've we've worked really well in Europe so far where, you know, I, I've got a few good contacts from my time in the industry with, with guys in, in Northern Europe and in Italy. We're about to do Spain. Um, and, and that's a fairly, despite Brexit, it's still a fairly... Yeah. Uh, easy area to work it work in it's it's easy to nip out and to do events and to go and meet your customers so that's been fairly uh fairly easy i'd love to crack america i i i you know every time i've been over as i said i did the the nth festival last year and uh-huh. i think that um you guys get it it's it, it, not oh yeah North america gets it and 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 not not just the fact that it's old rare whiskey i think i think the family story is is quite interesting as well you know it's real it's real you're not a marketing company you have real integrity a real story a real passion and it comes through i mean that's that to me is what the big magnet is it's like this is not just no because there are a lot of independent bottlers that just that was their business they scoured through the through the countrysides they they bought whatever they could they slapped their name on it and they said hey good luck you know, and and it's and they're not all the same. I mean, these are bottles that you know, these are barrels that may or may not be great, yet they were being bottled anyway because that was the business. I I think I think that's that's totally right, and and I suppose uh, what I would consider to be our USP is obviously that the family the family story is 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 incredible, and and we're really lucky to have that as the basis for everything. I like to think that it's you know it's forward facing as well. I look at you know, as you said, there's so many independent bottlers out there, but a lot of them are are either faceless or nameless. And I think that if you can offer a bit more of a personalization around it all, and you know, let people know that there's there's a person behind the whiskey, and obviously there's not it's not whiskey that I've distilled, but you know we all we all know that choosing the right moment to bottle whiskey is as important as as anything else and you know i hope that people can can hopefully buy into the fact that um you know it is a carefully curated 
selection of casks. It's not just bottling anything and everything that falls our way. It's it's casks with a story. It might be a cask that was a key part of our Ben Eagles blend back in the 1970s, or it might be you know a cask of Macallan, which is from the era when my granddad was selling Macallan and, and, and creating that as a single malt. So all of it's going to tie into a story. And I think that's really important these days. It's, it's being able to to let you know drinkers and, and customers know that it's not just any old cask. Every, everything's got a little bit of intrigue to it as well. Well, I think in this time and age that we're in right now, which doesn't appear to be slowing down, you have so many eyeballs, you have so many people that are just wanting to try something different and they have a lot of choices and one of the big choices is like you know for me you know i always tell people like if you see anything up on my social media it's because i truly want to learn about it there's lots of choices not everybody wants to take the time to educate because they just were like oh well just put it out there and hope that it works but you're taking you you know your approach is just so much more of a um a warm fuzzy feeling and just good customer relations and customer service. And I think, you know, I I don't know what the rest of the stock looks like. I, I'm sure it's pretty spectacular. But, like, this is your story to write at your pace. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the new stock is, for me, just as exciting as, as the old stock. And, you know, that's that's my opportunity to to create new stories and, and to create, you know, put my stamp on things as well. Because... Uh, you know, sometimes it feels wrong messing around with a, a 34-year-old Longmorn cask that's already in, you know, incredible European oak. And I don't, you don't really want to mess around with that. But I do get excited by, you know, working with new distilleries in Scotland, working with new types of wood and new types of, you know, wineries to, to, to do finishing in. So that's... Well, the finishing, I mean, you, you, may, you look at the, you know, you mentioned the word finishing. Finishing has gone like, in the last three years, finishing has become the thing. Indeed. I mean, you know, and you barely heard of finishing. You know, now it's like, that's where the rage is. I mean, part of me goes because, I mean, you know, it's not as easy to get barrels <laughs> as it used to be. So now it's like, hey, if we're going to do something and we're going to add a twist, finishing is just the natural way to add. I mean, if you think about, you know, the bourbon barrels were shipped from America to Scotland to finish the scotches, the sherry barrels were shipped out here. Like it's been going on forever, but it was just a very limited menu, and now the menu got a lot bigger. Uh, absolutely, but but again, I think this is where there's a real opportunity for for a small player to talk about it and to actually explain mm -hmm. it a little bit better because you know so often you see on a on a label you know red wine finish or sherry cask finish. For me. That that's not that's not the way that I want to do. I'll I'll use our uh, Inchgower thirteen-year-old release that we did for our first first uh, release back in June. As I said, my first ever job was working with Torres, which was a wine that my granddad imported. And the very very first thing I did when we started this whole project was call up Torres and I said, "Listen, I'm about to to you know create my own way with, with whiskey, but I want to restart this old family collaboration that we've got going back, you know, decades. Can I use some of your red wine barrels to finish my whiskey in? So all of a sudden we've got Torres red wine barrels being used for the new Thompson whiskey project. And 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 that's what the story is all about. It's it's a red wine cask 
that's been chosen for a reason. It's not just any old wine barrel. Exactly. Yep. And and that's what gets me really excited. It's 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 telling those quirky little stories where each cask is totally different, and it's all it's all based on a, on a bit of a theme of storytelling. Well, and and I think it also goes back to the passion. You know, you're just you're curating something special, and the liquid the liquid is solid, but you've got other choices with the finishes and everything else that you're adding to it, which is just keeps adding value to the story and at the end of the day to what you you know what you're building here with Finn Thompson. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. There's exciting times ahead. Uh, you know, I've just got to I've got to make sure that everything coming out is is continuously good. But you know, ultimately, guys like you will be the judge of that, and 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 many others. But hopefully, you get a little chance to to taste some bits and bobs coming up. Well, soon. I look forward. Will I see you in the US anytime soon? Do you know what you're you're sadly not going to see me if if um, I'm sending my dad and my my colleague Reeve out together as a as a double team to take on Vegas together. So, oh, beautiful! But you know, dad, my dad's been fantastic in, in the whole thing as well. He's he's absolutely uh, part of it, even though he's potentially the skip generation. Ultimately, you know, it's it's me and him together that have decided to to give this another go. And he's a he's a real history buff. You know, he's done all the all the archive research and and uncovered the whole family story with me. So. Uh, if anyone's bumping into him over in Vegas, definitely go and quiz. Oh, I def I'll definitely look forward to spending some time with him. Um, okay. I think I get it. I get in on Thursday, so yeah. If you don't, I w definitely link me and your dad up because obviously, you know, you know me. I like to learn and learn and learn, and obviously try some fun stuff. So I I'm sorry that I don't get to see you, but it'd be nice to meet your dad over there and kind of get another side of the generational business that you guys are building. Totally, I will be over not too long. I'm, I'm gonna make sure that I get a little trip out because I, I love it out there. And uh, yeah, sadly, I've, I've, I'm preoccupied. I'm, I'm best, I'm best man at a friend's wedding. So, ah, oh, these things happen. Uh, it's interesting because Mahesh said he has a pretty big announcement at the show that he'll be announcing, and part of me is hoping that he will take the show more global and not only be Vegas. Why don't we do London? Why don't we do Spain? Why don't we do Paris? You know, like. There's tons of great whiskey in the world, and he's had a great way of um, getting brands together to showcase nothing but the best. Yeah, well, I, I look forward to hearing what he's come up with. He's always yeah. good. Yeah, so um, yeah, that would be that would be exciting, definitely. Well, Phil, I can't appreciate, I can't thank you enough for taking the time, my man. I love talking to you. I love learning. Um, I can't wait to meet your dad next next month at the end and and see what you guys have been up to since I last saw you guys. Um, is there anything you want to plug? Any websites? Any Instagrams? Anything? Just yeah, the the Instagram is uh, at Finn Thompson Whiskey. The web the website is www.finthompson.com. Nice and simple. I'd say sign up for the newsletter because um, you know we've we've just done our our fifty year old Glenlivet. We're gonna have some pretty incredible stuff coming out over the next couple of years. Um, you know some some old McAllen, some other nineteen seventy stock. So I would I would highly recommend getting in touch and uh yeah, just keep an eye on what we're doing. There's there's some cool stuff to come. And I missed my favorite question, so I'm gonna ask it. Can you maybe tell me an insane experience that you've had with whiskey where you had to like pinch yourself, maybe in the moment or after like I can't believe I just drank that or 
experienced that? Anything come top of mind? Uh, um, do, you, do you know what? The, the most special moment for me was was the launch of the company. And we opened up a bottle, bottle number, uh, well, it was bottle number two, actually, of, of our Glenlivet, 1970-year-old, in this old church, which is basically the church where the first of our family was buried. And they all, uh, it's got this amazing vaulted ceiling, painted roof. We were surrounded by family and friends. We opened that bottle. We shared a dram with everyone. Um, you know, that that's as special as it gets for me. That that was celebrating a really special moment with friends, family, uh, and toasting the start of a new era. So for me, that's that's without doubt the, the, the best whiskey moment of my life. No, that's, you know what? That's part of an amazing story. I love that. That is special. Well, I won't see you in Vegas, but I see the family. And I can't thank you enough for taking the time. And I look forward to catching up in person, hopefully sooner than later. Keep me aware of your movements around the country or internationally. You never know where I can pop up. And just really can't thank you enough for taking the time today to talk with us here at the Rolex Whiskey Passion Project. And this is what I'm talking about, followers and listeners. Like, this is true passion. This is amazing whiskey and amazing passion. And that's what we're doing over here. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And I'll see you next time.